0: Boston University School of Law, recognized for excellence in legal education since 1872. It's the faculty.
1: It's the students.
0: It's the curriculum.
1: It's the inspiration.
0: Preparing students for the real-world practice of law today. Join host Dan Ray, BU Law alum and WBC 1030 radio host in Boston for this edition of the BU Law Podcast.
1: Well, welcome on in everyone to uh, the Boston University Law School podcast. I am the aforementioned Dan Ray, a graduate of BU Law School way back. I'm not going to tell you what year, but way back when, a practicing attorney, longtime broadcast journalist here in in Boston at WBZ TV and WBZ Radio. Also, uh, currently host my own talk show uh, every Monday through Friday night on WBZ Radio, 10:30 on the AM dial, Nightside with Dan Ray. Uh, Today on this edition of the BU Law School podcast, we're going to take a look at some interesting trends and probably some troubling trends uh, in the legal profession. Some would say long overdue economic factors have fundamentally changed the world, also changed the way lawyers do business. It is much more competitive these days in the legal profession. And some might even suggest that we have come to the end of the era of the billable hour. Joining me today is James W. Jones. He's co-managing director, senior vice president of Hillebrand Baker Robbins. Hillebrand provides management and consulting advice to law firms, law departments, and government agencies. Welcome uh, to the podcast, Jim Jones.
2: Thanks very much, Dan. Great to be with you.
1: Thank you. Let's want to start out by mentioning that you have an article uh, in this month's edition or this uh, quarter's edition, uh, which I'm looking at right now, uh, Boston University's law school magazine, The Record, in which you talk about the impact. Of the downturn uh, in the economy, of course, this downturn has been with us now for going on, getting pretty close to three years. And you say the traditional business model for large law firms just is not sustainable. Uh, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I think uh, historically the uh, the traditional model for really all law firms, but uh, certainly the large law firms, has been premised on um, on basically an unsustainable pricing model. And that pricing model is the billable hour, which uh, clearly has been the standard model uh, really across the profession. Uh, and not only have we based the uh, whole economic model on the billable hour, but the premise underlying it was that we would be able to raise our billable hourly rates every single year by 6 to 8% and that 6 to 8% increase in billable rates has been essentially what's driven the profitability of the uh, of the whole legal profession over over what was really a very sustained period before the current downturn. And it's that ability to drive up rates at six to eight percent, which I think is essentially unsustainable. In fact, if you think about it, it's hard to think of another industry across the economy that is able to raise its prices uh, to that level every single year. I, you know, the only <laughs> the only two that come to mind are healthcare and higher education. And maybe, I think maybe what we prefer- <laughs> had was essentially a model that just couldn't sustain itself.
1: Maybe professional sports uh, teams yeah, yeah, in prices. So. Maybe we could so. add a third. Now you say that 2009 was the worst year for the legal marketplace in nearly 50 years, going back to, you know, 1960 or so. Um, how bad was 2009?
2: Well, it it, it was pretty bad. Um, and to understand how bad it was, you have to sort of look back to what was happening in the legal market, uh, I would say, up to the beginning of the recession, which really started in 2008. Um, and if you looked at the seven or eight years preceding the downturn, uh, what you saw was the legal market experienced a period of absolutely unprecedented growth. I mean, it, things were growing gangbusters. We saw demand for legal services going up at a rate of anywhere from 4 to 5.5% every single year. Uh, we saw, as I mentioned earlier, that law firms were able to increase their rates 6 to 8% every single year. And we saw overall revenues and profits per equity partner growing across the market on average at, at near double-digit rates every single year. I mean, it was just an extraordinary period of time. All of that came began to come to a crashing halt in 2008 and certainly by 2009 uh we had really fallen into the into the grip of a very uh very definite downturn beginning in the first quarter of 2009 and running for seven straight quarters almost two full years we actually saw demand for legal services decline every single quarter uh, in other words, demand was growing at negative rates, and and we had never seen anything like that in the legal market before, and and, and it of course reflected a downturn in legal spending by major corporations. Uh, in 2009, uh, based on a survey that we do of major corporations every year, we saw that corporate spending on outside law firms actually declined by 5% in the United States and 6% worldwide. And that was the first time in over 20 years of taking that survey that we actually saw a decline in spending for legal services by, by major corporations. And as a result of that, of course, law firm productivity plummeted and, and revenues and profits fell, in some cases, you know, 15% or more. And firms, as we all know, responded with uh, with layoffs and other kinds of expense cutbacks. But
1: So you, you see this as much more than simply a market adjustment. You see this as, and clearly a market adjustment, uh, complicated and combined with a, a pretty serious recession.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I th- I think that the way, the adjustments we're seeing in the market now probably would have occurred sooner or later anyway, but uh the the uh, downturn certainly had the effect of accelerating them and and maybe even exacerbating them.
1: So uh, are we at the end then of the era of the billable hour?
2: <laughs> you know, uh I spent uh I spent at least uh, 30 years uh going way back to uh to the time that I was a managing partner, uh, confidently predicting the demise of the Bill of and, and about five years ago, I stopped talking about it. I thought it was the most resilient idea in Western thought. It just wasn't going away. But I have to tell you that um, I think now uh, we are beginning to see things change. Um, we, we're seeing a real push by clients, who, by the way, are now solidly in the driver's seat, uh, for efficiency and cost effectiveness in the delivery of legal services, and that is putting incredible pressure on the billable hour, which, which of course, uh, has built into it no incentive for efficiency or cost effectiveness. Um, and we're beginning to see some real movement. Um, there was a survey done by Citibank, which uh, is. The Major banker for an awful lot of law firms in the U.S. of uh, 48 leaders of major law firms last July, and those respondents reported that that their firms, on average, uh, were using alternative fee arrangements, which is to say non-billable hour-based pricing, uh, on about thir- for about 13 percent of their total revenue. And that compared to about 10.5% the year before, and they projected that in 2011 that was going to go up to almost 15.5%. Now, uh, one, one of,
1: my, my understanding is that, that one of the, the new trends, if you will, uh, with, at the major law firms is a concept called unbundled services. Uh, right. Now, those of us who think about having our home computers, our home telephone, uh, and uh, and maybe our, our home television and some sort of bundled service, uh, what, it seems like that's the opposite. What does what un, unbundled services mean in the context of major
2: law firms? Well, I think what, what, what firms, what uh, clients are doing, and again, it reflects their increased focus on an effort to try to make uh, the provision of services more efficient and cost-effective, they're beginning to look at major matters like very large litigations, and say, look, I may need to pay top dollar for the great litigation firm that I'm hiring to actually take this matter to trial if it goes to trial, but I'm no longer willing to pay their rates to do the uh, the initial e-discovery phase or the exploratory depositions or, or a lot of the more routine stuff that comes earlier in the process. Sure. So I'm now going to go to that trial firm, and I'm going to say, look, you're my guys for the trial, but I'm going to hire these other firms, or maybe even a legal process outsourcer in India or someplace else, to do some of this preliminary stuff, and uh, you will have to rely on their work products. So it's a literally unbundling of what was traditionally a single matter that was given to a single firm. And, and clients are now using a number of different kinds of legal service providers on on these kinds of things, not only in litigation, but also on transactions.
1: Yeah, basically you're getting rid of the idea of the one-stop shopping. You, you mentioned outsourcing legal services to places like India. It seems like everything's being outsourced to India. <laughs> right. um, you, you can go online uh, beyond that uh, and, and you can download documents now. I'm sure that we know all of these companies that are now out there competing. Some say the services that these services really aren't up to par. Um but is that really I guess what someone might call big law firm snobbery?
2: Yeah, I think it is. Uh there, there's no question that outsourcing began with kind of very low end sorts of services, you know, document transcription services, e file management, all that kind of stuff. But it it has really rapidly progressed to include Include much more sophisticated tasks. I mean, you've got outsourcers who are, frankly, doing basic legal research now, and the uh, the rap that um, that the quality is low. I think uh, really misunderstands the process. In fact, if you visit some of the legal process outsourcers in India and you really look at their quality control systems, I will tell you they're far more impressive than the quality controls I see in major law firms. Uh, You know, they've got all sorts of benchmarking tools. They have people reviewing over and over again. I mean, they're passionate about quality in a way that that I, I don't see those kinds of systems in major law firms.
1: Let's take a look at um, the the competition back back here at home. Um, clearly, you got major law firms. A lot of them downsizing. Some going out of business. But now we have uh, some medium sized firms, and even you know solo practitioners and small uh, small firms, um, so called boutique firms. Uh, they're now a threat, I-, I believe, to major law firms that that they would never have been twenty or twenty five years ago.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, A few years ago, I I was actually a a bit pessimistic about the ability of uh, of regional firms or smaller firms or niche firms to actually compete with the big guys over time. Um, But I'm now considerably more optimistic, uh, partly because of this this market shift that we're seeing. Uh, Clients are much more willing to uh use a broader array of firms for uh for their matters because of concerns about cost effectiveness and efficiency, and they realize that there are there are parts of even very complicated matters that they would traditionally have given you know to a big wall Street firm that can actually be performed perfectly well by uh by a regional firm somewhere or a smaller firm and and actually done uh, done at a much lower price also the other thing i 'd mention is that is that technology has become a wonderful leveler of the playing field, given giving smaller firms you know the same kinds of capacities that big firms historically had and thats that 's been a real shift in the market
1: now if we look at this shift in the marketplace that you describe, one group of people who are never going to know what it was like 20 or 25 years ago, uh, are the law students who are graduating today. What do you say to your son or your daughter, your niece or your nephew, uh, who's getting out of a good law school these days, and they're about to look for jobs
2: yeah. Well, I I have to say that I think that at least for the near term, uh the job picture at least in traditional law firm jobs is a little bleak. Um we're not we're not going to see a quick or robust recovery out of this recession. It's going to take 2 or 3 years. Um and as you know, a couple of years ago, large firms laid off almost 9% of their associates. So, uh they've cut back on hiring quotas both permanent associates and and for summer associates. And I don't see that's going to change really over the next two two to three years. There are a few bright spots around. uh, In some parts of the market, for example, firms are now uh, actively trying to hire mid-level associates. But longer term, I think that firms are likely to be smaller, at least in terms of, of the traditional categories of partners and associates on partner track. But the good news is that I think as the economy recovers, we're likely to see firms hiring again in lots of lots of new categories of professionals, whether they're contract lawyers or staff attorneys or legal information specialists, you know, uh, classifications that, that didn't exist when, when you and I went to law school. And I also think we're going to see employment opportunities for young lawyers in non-traditional law firm settings. Again, again, uh, opportunities that just weren't there when uh, when you and I graduated.
1: Well, we're going to talk more about law students and in uh, law schools. They make up a good portion of our audience here at, on the Legal Talk Network. Uh, but we're going to talk about the, the economic reality uh, that they're facing, which has changed. Uh, students graduating today uh, would have begun their law school period, uh, or at least probably thinking about law school, well before the, uh, the big downturn of 2008. Uh, but first, uh, we need to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to be talking more
0: with Jim Jones. Located in Boston and steeped in 138 years of rich tradition, BU Law is number one in teaching quality according to lighter law school rankings and number three in the nation for best professors according to Princeton Review. BU Law, admitting students regardless of race, religion, or gender since 1872 and training them to become leaders in the law. Visit the website and see for yourself at www.bu.edu forward slash law. Now back to the BU Law Podcast with host Dan Ray, a lawyer, a veteran Boston broadcast journalist, and BU Law alum.
1: And welcome on back to the Boston University Law School Podcast. I'm Dan Ray, your host. My guest today is Jim Jones, co-managing director and senior vice president of Hillebrand Baker Robbins, a consultant to large law firms and... Uh, Really an observer and watcher of trends in the legal industry. Uh, Jim, you recently um, met with uh, the dean of our law school, Dean Maureen O'Rourke, as well as BU faculty to keep them apprised of trends in the legal marketplace and the skills that law school graduates today need to be successful as law firms evolve their business models. How did that that meeting go? You also, again, I'd like to reference, have a very interesting article that people can read in the alumni magazine of BU Law School. Uh, the the name of the magazine is the record, the uh, winter 2011 edition, which I'm holding in my hand.
2: Yeah, I, I, I certainly did have an opportunity to talk uh, a few months ago with uh, – with Dean O'Rourke and the faculty about all of these trends. Uh, We had an interesting discussion about the kinds of skills that law graduates will need in the future. things like enhanced technology skills, um, you know, the the kind of flexibility you need to respond to new kinds of work models, an ability to retool yourself throughout your career and so forth. We also talked some about how legal education and the legal education model might need to change going forward, both in terms of the the sort of pedagogic models as well as obviously the financial models.
1: Huge economic shift um, from the time that you and I graduated law school, um, but whenever there's a in my opinion whenever there's a shift there will be new opportunities uh that that open up but let's talk about law students today and their income expectations uh, after passing the bar. And maybe we can talk about, you know, those who are in law review at the major yeah. uh, law schools around the country. I assume they will always be sought after. But I'd, I'd like you also to focus on uh, the, the folks in the middle of the class who are getting out of a good law school with a solid law degree, maybe not law review. Uh, what are the different sets of expectations those two different uh, law school graduates should be thinking about?
2: Yeah, well first of all I do I do agree with you. I, I think that uh you know people who uh who come out uh with good records uh from good law schools are are always going to be sought after by the by the large firms and other firms even even though uh maybe the hiring quotas are gonna be a little smaller than they used to be. You know, I suspect that on the whole Uh, lawyers may actually see their average incomes uh, go down a little uh, from the past, uh, just because I think on the whole, uh, the legal market is going to force more efficiency uh, and and certainly more cost-cutting uh, looking ahead now that's not to say that law is not going to continue to be a very good way to make a living and in fact you know even in the current downturn I think you have to have to say that lawyers have in the main done very well certainly compared to other other professional occupational groups across the economy um, but I, I I think that uh, that the prospects as I said a minute ago for finding jobs uh, are going to to improve as the economy comes back. They may not be traditional in the sense of, you know, uh, uh, partner track associates, uh, but I think there are going to be a lot of jobs out there, and I think it's going to continue to be a perfectly good good way to not only just make a living, but actually to do quite well. Now, I, I think there is one other ongoing issue about all this, and this, of course, is the debt burden that a lot of kids are coming out of school with, and I think that, that, is, a, that is a real problem.
1: Okay, so let's, let's put that issue aside just for a moment because what, whatever their economic circumstances are going through law school and whatever that final debt burden is that they carry, do you think that students, uh, who are coming out of law school, even top quality students are saying, you know what? I don't want to be in the rat race of the big law firm in New York City. Uh, I'd prefer to be in a smaller, as you said, regional firm, uh, or maybe a smaller law firm in a big city, but, I don't want to end up working 80 hours a week for the first two years of my practice of law.
2: Yeah, well, we're certainly seeing evidence of that. Uh, you know, uh, surveys that have been done of associates and uh, and young lawyers have confirmed those kinds of sensibilities for some time now. And I, I think that one of the, the the piece of good news about what's going on in the market now is that the way the market is changing and the new kinds of jobs that are going to be out there, uh, both in law firms and in, in nontraditional uh, legal service organizations, are really going to expand enormously the range of opportunities that people have. Have and also as we were as we were talking before, I think the uh, the chances now of, of really going into smaller firms or regional firms and having interesting, exciting, challenging practices uh, are are improved in a way that they've never been before. So I, I think that's kind of the good news uh, out of all of this as we begin to to make our way out of the current downturn.
1: Uh, Jim, last question for this edition of the BU podcast. Um, what about law schools? Do you, do you think that they are going to start teaching business management uh, at a law firm? Normally, you think business management is done by the senior partners. And do you think we'll see business classes uh, working their way into into good law schools?
2: Well, I, I certainly hope so. But I, I have to say that with, with only a few exceptions, it's not really happening now. And I think that stems from, from a, an implicit decision that was made some time ago to, to make law schools sort of more academic and less, less uh, professionally focused. But given the changes in the market that we've been talking about, I think there will need to, to be a change in that perspective, at least to some extent. And we see that in a number of schools that are now beginning to focus uh, on business of law by creating special institutes for, for the study of business of law and so forth. And over time, I do expect to see law schools, pay a lot more attention to the area.
1: Well, Jim Jones, thanks very much. Uh, How can folks get in contact uh, with you at Hildebrandt Baker Robbins?
2: Uh, My email address is jjones at hbrconsulting.com. Uh, I'd be happy to easy. talk to anybody with questions.
1: All right. Uh, Jay Jones at hbrconsulting.com. That's, that's real easy. Thanks. Thank you very much for spending your time. Uh, very interesting insight into what the future uh, practice of the law might be, not only for current lawyers, but also for those who are either in law school now or contemplating uh, heading off to law school. Thanks so much, Jim, for having been with us today.
2: My pleasure, Dan. Good to be with you.
1: Great. You can listen, by the way, and you can find all the editions of the Boston University Law School podcast on, amongst other places, Legal Talk Network, uh, the BU Law School website itself, as well as in iTunes. And until we uh, next gather around this microphone, I'm Dan Ray. I want to thank all of you for listening and hope all of you have a great day and a great week.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the BU Law Podcast with host Dan Ray. Check out what else is happening on campus at bu.edu forward slash law.